Hello and welcome to On The Button, the video marketing podcast. Today I'm joined by Steve Garvey. I'm very lucky, he's very well respected in my industry. So it was lovely to talk to him. He is the founder of Moving Image. Now they use data to help brands produce more effective video content. And that's what I talked to him about today. It's about data, it's about benchmarking. They've just released a new report, which is all about data. It's all about benchmarking and gives an insight into what good looks like in regards to video for the top 50 brands in the UK. I suggest you give it a download, but before that, enjoy the podcast. Steve, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. Now, um, you you may not know it, but you're a bit of a legend in the industry. Uh, But for those outside of our industry, it might be great if you could just introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here today. Uh, Thanks thanks for the invitation. Um, Yeah, so I'm Steve Garvey, and my current business is called Moving Image. Uh, I've been working in what I would call brand video and corporate film sector since about 1986, with occasional forays into broadcast documentary production and online video platform building. Fantastic. And so where are you now? Tell me about Moving Image and what it is that you do. Yeah. So over the years, um, I sort of ran video production businesses. I was comms director as well at one particular company for five years. Um, So I've seen it from all sides and I've produced lots of videos um, and run teams who are making videos. And the bit that I felt after all that experience was really missing was data. Now, I know at this point, a lot of people's eyes are going to glaze over data. It just sounds so nerdy and so boring. But believe me, this stuff is an absolute goldmine. And it can be used to very, very good effect. The problem is when I went out there looking for data on the brand video sector, I couldn't find any. I could find loads of data on advertising, particularly um, online video ads on things like Instagram, YouTube, uh, and Facebook and so on. Um, But I couldn't find anything on all the other stuff that comms professionals do, like, you know, brand values films and, and, recruitment videos uh, and health and safety and training or other good stuff. Loads of money gets spent on it, over a billion pounds a year, but there was no data on it. And I couldn't find out what the best practitioners were or how they did it. And so I wanted to fill that gap. Fantastic. I mean, this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because as you probably know, since 2008, I've been passionate about measurement. It's something, you know, we produced a film that was really measured on its success through analytics for the first time. And obviously that's progressed over the last 12 years, 13 years, um, to the point where now we are being asked on a regular basis about measurement. However, on a recent webinar, uh, when we ran a poll, 11% of the people we talked to said they weren't measuring anything at all. Um, Does that tie in with the, you know, we'll come to this report that you've done recently, but does that tie into the, the things that you've been talking to people about? Are you surprised by that number? I'm not surprised by the number of 11%, except in the sense I thought it might be higher. I think you might have quite a sophisticated audience for this. <laughs> oh, I, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, and this is in no way a criticism at all. I mean, the truth is we're all drowning in data, right? And an awful lot of the data, and most of the data that gets thrown at you or that you can access is useless anyway. So why are you going to spend time trying to delve into it? Um, no, I think I think the fact is that if, I mean, I'm only interested in video here. Video is part of the whole omni-channel uh, comms tool set. And within that, you've got analytics for everything. So one of the issues that I've found is that people do look at analytics, but they tend to look at analytics for specific things or at a very high level. And that really includes video. 
think one of the reasons for that is that video um, that video measurement is particularly difficult. If you're analysing text um, using data techniques, that's relatively easy because you can do things like search for keywords and things like that. So it's a relatively easy thing to do. It's much more difficult to analyze video. Sure, you can capture data about it if you're willing to do quite a lot of work to find that data in the first place. But, but what does that mean? And the only way you can really make any sense of it is to have an understanding both of the creative side of what you're doing and of the measurement side of what you're doing. If you've only got one of those two pieces, you don't see the whole picture. And really that's the problem that I'm trying to address uh, with this particular business and this particular benchmark report that we're going to talk about. And how have people reacted when you've started talking to them about this, especially on the client side? I think on the client side, there's a sort of mixed range of opinions, which is consistent with what you were saying just now. There's quite a few people and perhaps more than 11% in my experience who are saying, you know, I, to be honest, we just make the stuff we make and we're pretty sure that's right for our audience and that's great. So we're fine. Um, there are others who say, yeah, we don't really look at data much and we probably should, but we just haven't got the resource. And then right at the other end of the spectrum, there's people who've got actually really well resourced teams who are really on it. Um, they still don't necessarily have what I would consider to be the, the most optimal video data set, but they've certainly got data that sits across all their social channels, um, their digital workplace for internal communication, so on. So there's a very wide range, but I do think there is a generally very positive response from the client side, from the brand side, um, with trying to create an independent data set. Because one of the issues that you've got is that, sure, you've got data sitting on your various platforms. You can go into the analytics tools. Every single platform has it, including things like 23 for video. Um, but you can't compare that to anything very easily. If you're, for example, uh, an insurance brand, probably the thing that interests you most is what other insurance brands are doing. And if you're doing it better than they are, and if not, how can you can learn from them and get yourself up? So... You know, you need KPIs, you need some something to measure against. And really, it's that independent data set that we're trying to build. And then out of that, the tools that you can use to apply to your video strategy to make sure that you get the business results that you're looking for from it. It's certainly the feedback I've had from clients, because obviously, we, we talk to them a lot now about measurement and benchmarking is something that comes up a lot. And I guess that takes us beautifully into your report, Steve. Can you just introduce the report? I mean, I've had a quick look through and it, 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 there's a lot of data there that you've had to trawl through clearly. Tell me about what, what the report's all about. Well, um, this report, the benchmark, is designed to provide that benchmark really. So it's a tool to enable any brand communications professional, or this can also work for, for video producers to be able to see what's out there and start to measure their own performance against what everybody else is doing. So what we did, we, we basically do two things. We use proxies because obviously we can't measure every single piece of video that's ever published because that's an insurmountable task. And equally, we can't see behind firewalls into, in, into, into businesses, um, internal comms channels. So what we do instead is we use proxies. We've chosen, first of all, for the, for the first two, we've chosen LinkedIn and Instagram. And we selected um, 50 UK leading brands. Another limitation of the data that we found that's out there already is that it tends to be very US centric. Nothing wrong with that, but actually for UK brands, it's not always the most relevant data sets that you'll find. 
So what we've done is we've analyzed every single video that 50 leading UK brands have published on LinkedIn and Instagram since the 1st of January this year. In fact, it goes back before that as we were setting it up, um, which is normally around 1,500 videos a month. And we've categorized those in various ways and then look for insights that come out of that. And that's something we do continuously because I think the other thing that you tend to find with measurement is that often it's very sporadic. It's for one particular campaign or you'll find a blog post or a marketing page from a solutions provider that says, gives you one statistic, you know. But what we're really interested in is trends and whether they develop over time. So that's why we're doing this continuously. So actually every single day we are capturing data, we pump it into a database, we develop um, a dashboard that comes out of that, which gives us uh, insights and tools um, and then we share that. So that's really how this process works and what it enables um, content professionals to do is to see how they're doing against a whole range of other brands too. Great. Well, obviously I'll include a link so that people can kind of hunt this down. Where, where's the best place to find this report if people are interested? If you go to our website, which is movingimagenews.tv slash data, uh, you will find, it's actually the homepage that you land on, but um, but you will find uh, the benchmark there, you simply fill in a form and subscribe. So at this stage, what we're aiming to do is to make this widely available to everybody. So it's free of charge. Um, you can sign up. We're testing different ways to share the information because obviously different different people want different levels of data. As you mentioned, the first edition is 40 pages long, and I doubt whether very many people are going to go anything like beyond the first five pages, which is the summary. But, you know, maybe there are teams out there who want to get that level of access. So we're really using this as a, a sort of test to push out there and find out how people want it to get delivered. Ultimately, it will undoubtedly be within an online dashboard. But for now, it's a written monthly report. Fantastic. So um, tell me about the headlines. What is it that stands out to you from this report? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is that there are some brands which absolutely smash it consistently. Um this isn't coincidence. It's not that they get lucky with a couple of videos. This is obviously systematic. It's planned. So let's take LinkedIn as one particularly useful example. LinkedIn obviously is a professional network, so it's a very good proxy for a workplace environment. Um, it's very different to Instagram, which is ad-driven. What you find on LinkedIn is the very there's a very wide range of video content. And you'll find, for example, if I take the example of Rolls-Royce, uh, not the cars, but the aero engines and turbines, uh, Rolls-Royce are outstanding performers on LinkedIn with video. Uh, that might come as a surprise. I mean, because there are other really big brands, obviously every big brand is on LinkedIn. Um, but I think one of the reasons that, uh, that Rolls-Royce do so well with video on LinkedIn is, is two really. Uh, the first is that every brand, however mundane you might think your service or your product is, every single brand has fans. There are people out there who love your brand, perhaps they're current or past employees, perhaps they're happy customers, uh, you know, perhaps they're people who just align with your values. And those people will come back time and time again. And from what we've analyzed, because we've analyzed not only video posts, but also text and image posts as well and compared them against each other uh, is that is that when those brands publish video, their fans absolutely jump on those videos and they love them. And they all say they love them publicly 
Um, I mean, one of the most successful videos that we've analyzed so far on LinkedIn this year by Rolls Royce. It's very simple. It's 14 seconds long. It's an animation sort of builds up uh, one of one of their Trent engines. And people are going on there saying, wow, incredible. I love this. Things like that. Obviously, you know, they aren't employees of Rolls Royce. They're just doing it spontaneously. And when you look at their profiles, they're mostly with an engineering background. They just love this stuff. But you'll find the same thing over and over again with brands that you might not think are in any way glamorous. So when you publish video and when you publish good video, you will connect with those fans and the fans will drive the engagement because then the content populates their timeline, which spreads the word. So what I would say is that the thing that really stands out is that some brands really smash it consistently. And when they smash it, it's because they're making video for their fans, which drives the engagement. Absolutely. So uh, we talk to our clients a lot about creating content for your audience rather than for yourself or for your internal stakeholders. It's about understanding the audience, what it is they want to watch and create content that they want to share and discuss and watch, obviously. Um, Now, I guess that's easy for Rolls-Royce and it's easy for Aston Martin, who also I saw featured in the report. But what, what can smaller brands learn that maybe don't have that critical mass of followers to start with? Because obviously, a bit of a catch-22 once you have those followers and they start sharing that content then you know it, it can snowball but how, how can people get started and what can they learn from this report yeah i think that's a really good question because of course most brands that are doing this don't have that kind of brand recognition um well the first thing to say is that you should be working with what you've got and you've already got a load of resource anyway because you already have a good understanding of what your audience is you may not produce video regularly I would argue that you should be considering producing video regularly. There is strong evidence statistically, and we can back this up, I won't do it now in this particular recording, but there's plenty of data to support it. That if you look at the kind of lead table for the brands which get consistently higher engagement for their video, they are publishing video more regularly. Not every single one, there are exceptions. So Aston Martin, as you mentioned there, only published, I think, seven videos in the first three months of this year, but they got fantastic engagement. But they are Aston Martin, so that's not very surprising. When you look at the ones that perform less well, say if you compare the top 10 to the bottom 10, you'll find that the top 10, by, by uh, which are measured by engagement, are consistently publishing video more frequently. The average for all brands is six and a half videos per month on LinkedIn. So one and a half a week. The ones which are in the top 10 are publishing around two a week, typically, is what they're pushing out there. Sometimes those are repeats, but mostly those are fresh content. So that doesn't mean if you're on a tight budget and with a small team that you have to keep on going out and spending a fortune with you know external production companies to make really expensive videos. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that you need to find a really sustainable and affordable way to produce video consistently. That might mean using really simple tools. There are loads of online video production tools for things like explainer videos and things like that that you can use. It might mean working with a sort of junior who, who produces video content using a laptop and so on. If you're working with uh, really, really sort of minimal, really minimal uh, resources. But the key point there is to keep your audience regularly engaged. That builds over time and that drives you up those charts. 
So it's a really interesting point there because we get asked a lot, you know, obviously, uh, as you would expect, um, about the effectiveness of professionally produced content compared to user-generated or employee-generated content. And obviously, there's a hybrid in the middle somewhere there. There is data out there that I've seen, but each report I read tells me something different. Is there anything in your data that, that gives us any indication as to what the best approach is, you know, whether that's professionally produced content or kind of more rough and ready or quick and dirty content? I think there's two things to bear in mind there. One is your brand values. So certain brands, the whole the whole set of values which are associated with that brand sit really well with user-generated content. The other one is the circumstances. So for example, early in the pandemic in 2020, uh, say in the first six weeks or so, as far as I could tell, nobody produced any professional video much because it was just impossible. Nobody knew what to do, but we did see a lot of UGC coming through. And that had huge authenticity. Nobody cared that it was shot on a smartphone with dodgy audio. It didn't matter. That wasn't the point. The point was what people were doing or the message that they were delivering. But those are exceptional circumstances. Um, There is strong data. And I should say here, I've got no stake in this debate. I'm not a video production company, so I'm not trying to prove anything here. But there is strong data within our data set, which actually demonstrates that in in order to fulfill that regular production of good video content uh, with your target audience, which is going to drive up your engagement consistently over time, that certainly it's hard to replicate good user-generated content consistently. I think there are occasions when it's the right thing to do, and that authenticity works really well. But I don't think that's going to serve you when you're, when you're pushing out at least one video a week. I think what you need to do instead is to work with at least a video production professional um, or a video production company or your internal team, which has professional video production skills to say, look, we want to do this regularly, but we haven't got a massive budget. We're not going to triple the budget suddenly. Um, so what can we do to produce this stuff on a consistent basis? But yeah, generally... Um, the skills of video production professionals do work. They do drive audience engagement and they are worth investing in. It's better coming from you than from me, isn't it, Steve? <laughs> um, obviously, you've used a couple of words there that we all use in the industry a lot, success and engagement. It'd be interesting because you've used it in the report as well. You, you, you sort of say this brand is more successful. Obviously, success is kind of subjective. Did Aston Martin get lots of likes or did they sell more cars? That's the question. Um, how, how have you measured that? Well, I, I, to be honest, I, I don't know whether Aston Martin sold more cars because of their video. I, I assume Aston Martin have got a pretty good idea of that. And I guess that they wouldn't be doing their video if they didn't sell more cars as a result of it. But no, I can't prove that. So there's a load of data here that we'd all like to have, which we can't get to because it's behind the firewall. So we just have to accept that. Instead, we look for proxies. Now for us, a lot, I think, A lot of people, particularly brand comms professionals, will look first at views. Uh, That's probably the thing we look at last because views can be bought, simple as that. Other forms of engagement like, for example, likes, comments, uh, they're much harder to buy. And also what you can do and what we do is we measure the correlation between views and likes or views and comments. So although we can't prove this because, of course, brands are not going to tell us their budget, or at least if they do, we can't reveal what that budget is or use it in any way externally. 
then what we can do is we can demonstrate, well, this particular video from this brand got a very high number of views, but the engagement was low. And therefore we believe that that was probably paid for or a large part of it was paid for. But if you look at the other end of that spectrum, which is the ones that get very high engagement in relation to the number of views, then those are the ones which are genuinely attracting audience attention. Only those brands will know whether it sells more products or recruits more people. But let's face it, if you're publishing the video in the first place, you're doing it because you want people to see it. Um, so we think it's a reasonable proxy for us for, for, for us to take. We do still do still capture data on views. We just think it's really overrated. Um, and what we do when we work with brands is we take that public data. Uh, this is kind of a three-stage process. We take the public data, we then add to that at the second stage, the data which the client provides us with. And then the third stage is we put that into dashboards and we run our analytics tools over it and any particular any particular measurements which, which the brand wants to apply to it. And then we produce insights that generated out of that. And I guarantee every single time we do it, it generates really interesting insights. And I've never yet done a presentation to a brand where they say, I knew all that, never. Obviously, there. I mean, we we consider views a vanity metric. I guess it, it does feel good, right, to get a million views. Um, <laughs> but uh, certainly uh, for our clients, I mean, we had a we've got a B two B client that we worked with recently um, that's received over a million views for for one of their films. But um, and that was largely organic. But it was all of the metrics beyond that. Like you say, it's the the sentiment behind that engagement that's really important to them. Um, and you can obviously gauge that by looking at things like comments. The other thing that stood out from the report to me was um, your comment around duration. That That's, apart from budget, it's probably the second most popular question I get asked by a client. Um, how long should my film be? Um, and I personally have been, uh, been recognizing a bit of a, a trend recently where content is becoming longer. Everyone wanted to make their films five seconds or 10 seconds long before the pandemic. But now I think something's changing. Would you agree that maybe you know longer form content is becoming more accepted now? I think it probably is. Um, but to be honest, I can't prove that. Give me a year and I'll be able to because I'll have trends. But yeah, I mean, there is no doubt, I think, that there is better recognition. You're right. I, I find it a very popular question that comes to me. Um, uh, again, it, it's, it, I, I think that question often comes with the assumption that it has to be short. I've done quite a lot of work on finding out where that assumption has come from. I won't go into where that is, but there were one or two blog posts from several years ago that seemed to be the source of it. And they're basically, I mean, one in particular was just published as a kind of joke, and but it took off. Um, so there is no evidence whatsoever in all of the thousands of videos that we've looked at that short durations get better engagement or even more views than longer videos. It just isn't true. Simple as that. Um, if it were true, and we were really interested to find whether we could find any data to support it, but if it were true, you would see a very clear trend line. So you assemble a data set of, let's say, 100 videos or 1,000 videos. You measure all the durations, and uh, you put them into a data set. You just plot it on a chart. It's easy. What you'll see is over on the left-hand side of your sort of bottom axis, the x-axis, you're, you're going to find the shorter durations are going to get consistently, at least over that large sample, you're going to, are going to get consistently higher levels of engagement, such as, such as views or likes or uh, comments. And they just don't. It's as simple as that. Um, in fact, 
what you'll tend to see is a big cluster of durations 60 seconds or below because everybody presumably is thinking that if they make short videos they'll get more and most of those get fewer views than the longer videos that's really interesting so yeah it just isn't true and we've got loads of charts to prove that i mean I think it's a point that people accept when you when you show them the charts because you, because because you can see it. Now, what that means is, well, it still doesn't answer the question: How long should my video be? And really, the question is driven. I should say the answer is driven by the type of content and the audience that's that's getting it. But you know, if you look at one hundred most popular videos on LinkedIn in the first three months of this year, they're anything from six seconds to six minutes long. Um, don't go over 10 minutes on LinkedIn because LinkedIn doesn't like that. I'm not even sure you can post anything over the long, uh, which is longer than 10. And probably if it's close to 10, it needs to be, have to have a really good reason for being close to 10. But we all sit down in front of Netflix and other entertainment video platforms and watch two hour films because we choose to. So why shouldn't brands make content that's good enough to last longer than the six seconds that everybody seems to want. I'm smiling, Steve, because that's almost exactly the answer that I give my clients. Um, strangely, I mean, it's true in that, yeah, absolutely. If it's the right content for the right people, then they want more. And it also, I find it depends on where they are in that sales funnel. The further down that funnel you are, the longer you're prepared to watch because you're more invested in that brand. What I, I personally, I think the that whole shorter content things come from the fact that if you if you just look at analytics without interrogating them, then shorter content is likely to have longer engagement. You're likely to have more audience retention. So if you have a thirty second or a twenty second film, you might have audience retention of seventy five percent. Whereas if you have a ten minute film, it might be thirty percent or forty percent. And so people, if you just look at that at face value, it looks like the shorter film's more successful until you start to realize actually the longer film, although the, the percentage that has been watched is lower, the dwell time, the time they spent on a website or watching that content is much longer and it shows they're more engaged with the brand. But I think that's where it's kind of come from. People are so keen that people watch their films to the end. They're, they're more likely to produce less effective content, less engaging, less exciting, less interesting, less useful content, just because they want people to see it to the end. But does that, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. Absolutely. And I think you've hit the note on the head there with um, the way that people sometimes misunderstand what the data means. You're absolutely right. If you make um, a one minute video and a five second video on the same topic, you will get a much higher completion rate on your five second version than you will on your 60 second version. But if you think about what that means for a moment, what that means is that with your five second version, you've got a maximum engagement time of five seconds for that, for that audience. Now, if that audience then, for example, clicks on the call to action and does whatever it was that you want them to do, great, that's fantastic. But you've only got them for five seconds, so it needs to be really, really strong to be able to do that. On the other hand, they'll it is almost certainly true that your audience will have, will kind of live in different segments. There'll be some segments that only want the five second version and others that want the 60 second or the five minute version. So if you can make a version for all of those, you can still work your key messages or your key point into the first five seconds if you wish to, because that's gonna keep the five second crowd happy anyway, but you get the chance to keep the audience for longer and drive deeper engagement. And as you say, the further down the sales funnel that your audience is, the more likely they are to stay with you. 
And, you know, we can't see inside the CRMs of the brands whose external data we're tracking. But I think there's no doubt that a lot of the people, if you look at, say, Unilever, for example, who perform extremely well, no doubt the budgets are large. I'm, I'm sure that's the case, but they don't just perform well on the kind of measurement which is generally um, budget driven. What they've done is they've taken, you know, very ordinary products. Let's face it, uh, most of the things like cleaning products um, are not particularly glamorous, but they have managed to position their brand values in such a way that those brand values engage with people on a completely different level to buying a cleaning fluid. Um, and no one's going on LinkedIn to buy dishwasher tablets. Uh, so the reason they're getting really, really good engagement on LinkedIn is because their content is consistent uh, and high quality, and it has a strong purpose-driven uh, message. And some of their videos are actually fairly long. Um, you know, at least they're going over the 60 second limit. Uh, and I think Unilever is a good example of a brand um, that uses video very effectively doesn't have a glamorous product, but does have a strong message and does clearly understand how to use video consistently uh, on every platform that we have um, that we have looked at. And they are clearly not limited by duration. Absolutely. I mean, I can see into the CRM systems, obviously, for some of our clients. And uh, I totally agree. And, and actually, duration is probably not that important because no matter how long the film is, as long as someone does whatever it is you want them to do at some point during that film, uh, and a lot of the time it is click a call to action, then then great. We don't want them to watch it all the way to the end if they can make that decision in the first 10 seconds. I think that's the thing to focus on the objectives of the film uh, rather than the logistics of how long it might be or all those other things we're kind of running out of time here um i could talk to you all day about this stuff because i am and we're both clearly very passionate about it it'd be good if you could leave the audience maybe with a you know if if they are starting their journey along measurement where do you start what's the most important thing to consider if you've got limited resources so that you can start to make more effective video content using that data okay um I think I mentioned a three-step process earlier on. So the three steps of that are getting your own data, getting comparative data, which is your benchmark, and the third stage is blending those together. Now, with a small team with a limited budget, um, you won't be able to do all of those easily, but, but you definitely have got quite a lot of measurement already. The question is whether you're using it. I mean, maybe you need help. Maybe you've got it, but you just haven't got time to look at it. That's very, very common indeed. One thing you could do there is if you do have a team, you can allocate, it doesn't take much, you know, maybe a couple of hours a week would be fine, depending on the kind of um, comms programs that you're running. But you could delegate someone to do that, or you could even see if you can find the time to do that yourself. If not, there are external providers who can help you with that. Obviously, we can, but, you know, there are others too. So use what you've got is the first thing that I would say. The second thing is that in terms of getting the external benchmark, we'll just sign up for the report because it's free and you know it gives you something to work with. Um, and if you've got any questions, just get in touch and we can help you with further answers on that. And by putting those two together, just pulling out what you've already got, having a quick look at the benchmark report if you can't generate your own, that will give you actually quite valuable insights. And I guarantee that by doing that process, which won't take more than a few hours, you will be able to come up with ideas for how to run your video strategy for the next month or three months or six months differently 
I also guarantee that if you do that, you will get better results. You will get whatever business results you're looking for. They will be easier to achieve if you follow that simple three-step process. Cold, hard guarantee, Steve, on the On The Button podcast. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate chatting to you. And maybe we'll touch base again in the future once you do have a better insight of those trends as this report continues to develop. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Simon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the On The Button podcast. It's brought to you by Big Button. Big Button is a strategic video agency. You can find out more about our work at bigbutton.tv. I hope you can join us next time.